You're listening to The Dwork Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. On today's program, I spoke with Dr. Dina Grayson. She's a scientist whose expertise is biomedical research, whose political opinions are widely sought by news networks because they're informed by science. Dr. Grayson graciously shared 30 minutes of her time to inform you, The Dworkin Report's listeners, about more than just what you're hearing repeated on television, about the urgent need to wash your hands and limit person-to-person contact as America quarantines to fight the spread of this novel coronavirus. Want to know what urban cities should do to fight the spread of COVID-19? We covered that. Which state governors are leading the charge to protect our public health? Dr. Grayson told us about that too. Is there a better alternative to social distancing that achieves the same effect to flatten the curve of the more new people being affected? She's got an amazing idea on this podcast, which you should keep listening for. But before we begin, I'd like you to take a minute to check out our Meet the Candidates 2020 book series linked in the episode's notes. We wrote Meet the Candidates books on Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden just to help you make your decision about the Democratic primary vote. Without further ado, here is my interview with the wonderful Dr. Dina Grayson. I'm here with Dr. Dina Grayson who is both a medical doctor and holds a doctorate in biochemistry and molecular cell biology. She's not just a scientist, but also a former congressional candidate in Florida and well-known to her vast following online and on Twitter. Dr. Grayson, welcome to the program. How are you today? Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's not the best subject that uh, we could hope for. I hope that we could talk about our democracy or how we were fighting back against Russia or something along those lines, but... Um, given your field of expertise and, and also being a progressive, I figured it'd be important to have you on the show today. Uh, so I wanted you on the podcast to talk with our listeners about America's coronavirus response, specifically because you're a research scientist who has worked to make life-saving medicines. So this is a real situational expertise you can obviously share with our listeners. I figure we start off with one of the things that I was most concerned about uh, recently is is what do you believe are the domino effects of Trump's delay in coronavirus testing. You know, Scott, it is, I, I can't even think of the word because it's beyond a tragedy. It's a crime. It's beyond abhorrent. And we had a real opportunity. And it's not like we didn't see this coming, okay? We saw this horror show in China. And in fact, we didn't even get the full extent of the horror show in China because they sort of, you know, we didn't get the true numbers. But we certainly saw when you see 80,000 people infected, when you see thousands of people dying, physicians dying, you know, hospitals overwhelmed. You saw, we we all saw the videos. We all saw, you know, we heard the stories of patients dying in their cars because they couldn't even get into the emergency room. So we saw that, but then, okay, people go, well, but it's China and that's not here. Okay, but now Italy. And Italy, the doctors are screaming at the top of their lungs, don't be us, don't be us. And here in the United States, people like me and others uh, on the other side of the aisle, again, this virus is not a partisan issue. Uh, you know, a viral pandemic is a threat to, the, to all humans. We raised the flag. I raised the flag in mid-January. This is just the beginning. Not as a fear-mongering thing, but as a warning, like, guys, this is coming. Because this virus is... You know, when I first saw it in late December, Scott, it was anybody who is an expert um, in viruses, in viral pandemics, would see this. And I saw this in late December, and it checks all the boxes 
of a pandemic threat. When I saw this, you know, first reports out of China and I, you know, my husband and I know, you know, my husband, Scott, uh, former Congressman Alan Grayson and I were talking about uh, viral pandemics um, at, in late December during the holidays, as one does in my home, because, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way we roll. And I, I said, look, I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed about this virus because it's very contagious. It can cause serious illness or death in otherwise healthy people. And there are clearly no treatments or vaccines. And every day the report got worse and worse and worse. And once I saw that China was building a thousand bed hospital in 10 days, I said to people publicly, and I, you know, I know you and I follow each other on Twitter. I said, guys, forget the numbers. Look at what China's doing. You don't just roll out and build a thousand bed hospital if it's just, you know, a minor flush, it's only a flush wound, right? I mean, this is a big, big deal. So, you know, this should have been a clarion call to the Trump administration to get ready because with a pandemic, this is like a snowball head falling downhill. You can't react. If you react, you lose. The virus wins. You have to act. You have to act quickly and decisively. Inaction people die. And the Trump administration completely bungled, and I'm being kind by saying that, the rollout of testing. WHO had kits. No, 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 we don't need those. CDC decided to develop their own tests, refused to let the FDA help them, the FDA's top expert in diagnostics. Like, that's crazy. They said they walked that person out of their facility, which is nuts. And then when they rolled out the kits, they didn't work. So then they're like, oh, let's try again. And, and they only did it with, their, with the public health labs, which don't even have the infrastructure to analyze millions of samples. So this is beyond fail. This is, this is what, if this has got to be, honestly, Scott, this response, or I should say lack of response by Mr. Trump is, is the a biggest fail in presidential history because it literally is, is going to cost lives. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Former SDMI prosecutor and House Impeachment Counsel Daniel Goldman's tweets uh, saying it was almost impossible for him to get a COVID-19 test, even with symptoms. Um, you know, what should we be doing uh, in, in regards to testing? What can p- people like me do to try and get it, it, it so that, that, that there's testing available for everybody? I'm not sure exactly who we contact or who we pressure or who we're supposed to be talking to to make sure that it happens? Is it local government? Is it state government? Is it the federal government? Um, you know, and, and how, if we, if we are sick, if we are showing symptoms, how do we figure out if we have it? So Scott, to add to that story, to, for Daniel Goldman, which luckily he's recovering and doing well, but even, I would say even worse than him not being able to get a test, his wife, his wife has symptoms and she can't get a test. Like, think about that. She has known exposure. So with him, he had no like known contacts and it's flu season and the system's overwhelmed. But now you have his wife who has symptoms, clearly has close contact. Okay. They're married. She can't get a test. 
That tells you the epic, epic fail, epic fail by this administration to do the one thing, the most important thing they're charged to do, which is to protect the American people. So unfortunately, to your question, Scott, there's no easy answer. And the reason is there is there, we don't have the testing capacity. We don't have there, we don't have it. The private labs, the commercial labs finally are ramping up their testing. I think over the next few weeks, we will see a huge surge in our testing capacity, which is great. Now, how you access those tests, of course, Trump completely lied. Shocker. During his press conference when he said, hey, we have a Google website. Uh, wrong. Google's like, what? We, we never heard of this. And then, of course, you know, you can have drive through testing at all of the major, you know, places, the commercial, uh, you know, pharmacies. Well, all the commercial pharmacies, the big pharmacies are like, first, we heard of it. We have no plans for this. So, and by the way, they kind of left out the major problems that are in our current hot zones, like New York City. How many people have cars in New York City? What are, what do we do in New York City? You can't like, you know, drive through pharmacy. I mean, you know, most people in New York don't have a car. We need fever clinics. We need to have designated places where people can go safely and be tested without getting infected or infecting someone else. And we have nothing. This is a total fail by the federal government. It is a thousand percent on Trump. It's a thousand percent on his coronavirus, quote unquote, leader, Mr. Pence, who is a classic science denier. This is a thousand percent on them. And as a consequence of their utter failure, because their whole game, right, Scott, was to spin this. They were trying to spin this pandemic because, you know what, pandemics are bad politics, I guess. But what they are now finding out is that you cannot spin death. That's some truth. From the doc, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo suggested an open letter uh, in times th- this weekend that the federal government should use its vast resources to start building field hospitals right now. I know that some military bases are preparing that. Um, is that a good idea? How are we going to be able to field all these responses uh, to to pe- people freaking out and overloading our health system as it peaks here in the next few weeks? Yeah, I really applaud Governor Cuomo. I have to say, as far as uh, you know, state officials, he has has done the best. Now, I, having said that, I will say there's much more that n- needs to be done now. And we can talk about that if you want, Scott. But, you know, Governor Cuomo has done several things. And one of those exactly this was to you know, yesterday in his uh, op-ed in The New York Times, which, of course, I'm sure is following private communications, but a, a, a public call for Mr. Trump to leverage the Army Corps of Engineers to start building um, medical facilities. And, you know, these are, this is something that the the Army does well. We can use even existing buildings. But again, as we talked about earlier in, in the program here, Scott, these pandemics, viral outbreaks are like a snowball heading downhill. So if you're playing catch up, you lose. You've got to be out front. And Governor Cuomo just has to look across the Atlantic to Italy, and he sees what's happening there. Where and, and, and one thing to think about, people think, well, but it's Italy. Italy has a higher number of ICU beds per capita than the United States does. Think about that. Okay. And their hospitals are totally overwhelmed. And the place where they're actually overwhelmed is in the very wealthiest part of Italy, where if anything, they have more ICU beds per capita than the United States, even like even higher than the rest of the country. So we are. You know, Governor Cuomo realizes this, that 
look, we've, you know, you got a lot of New Yorkers. This virus has been spreading undetected throughout the community for, in Seattle, certainly for months. We know that for, for two months. In Seattle, very likely the same situation in New York. And now we're starting to see, just like China did, just like Italy did, uh-oh, we're starting to see this uptick in, in influenza-like illnesses that aren't the flu, ding, ding, ding. But we can't test for coronavirus, so we don't really know if it's coronavirus because, again, Mr. Trump failed. And we know with that one guy in, um, uh, in, in New Rochelle, right? He, he spread this virus, this one person, unwittingly, and no, no fault of his, spread the virus to at least 50 people. Plus, he took the subway in New York. So Cuomo, Governor Cuomo is preparing for, rightfully, that this is going to be, you know, unfortunately, we're going to see a huge surge in cases. Unfortunately, a fair percentage of those people are going to require hospitalization. And unfortunately, some of them are going to need ICU care, including a ventilator. So let's get the beds ready now, because if we wait till the hospitals are overwhelmed, people will die. This episode of the Twerking Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit TwerkingReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. And you just made a great point there about uh, major cities, and that's the point that... uh, you know, obviously, the largest outbreaks in America are happening in densely urban city centers, places like New York, Seattle, Chicago, Los Angeles. Um, you know, the the question that I have there is in cities where folks don't don't have cars. What? How do you get tested? Like, how do you do that in a safe and quick way? Uh, in person, like in person, do you do it door to door, or how how does that work? How, what's the best way yeah. to do that? No, Scott, that's an, it's an awesome question. And, you know, this is where we need to leverage American innovation as well as copy best practices from elsewhere. So with respect to the, the second thing first, so best practices elsewhere, you know, this is where the Chinese have really are way ahead of us. So they've had experience with SARS and they have things called fever clinics. So what you don't want, what we don't want is we don't want people walking into an emergency room that has pregnant women about to give birth that has uh, people having, you know, getting wheeled in with heart attacks and other illnesses. Remember, our emergency rooms are there to deal with all illnesses, not just coronavirus. So what we don't want are coronavirus-infected patients coming in and infecting a whole emergency room. So what China has done, and I think we absolutely need here, is we need designated fever clinics, if you want to call them. We can call them whatever you want to call them, but they have designated clinics where you go and people are seated far enough apart where they're not going to infect one another, and you get a flu test, if that's negative, you get a CAT scan. If that looks like you have the illness because there's a specific pattern, then you get a coronavirus test. Now, unfortunately, you know, that means we have to have federal leadership on this because you need the, the clinics. And this is where, again, we can leverage military resources to provide these types of pop-up facilities around big cities. Um, but also we need to have a mandate from the federal government that this is the algorithm to diagnose because, of course, you know, insurance companies aren't going to pay for a CT scan if it's unless it's, you know, part of standard of care. So that's one way. 
But in another way, which I think is amazing, is in Seattle, there's a Gates Foundation uh, funded project. And, and this is where they're actually have, they have home-based test kits. So you basically call a number or go on a website, fill out a form, and say, hey, here's my symptoms. So it first says, okay, what are your symptoms? Do you have a fever? Check. Do you have a cough? Check. You know, all right. You have shortness of breath. Go to the hospital. But if not, okay, we're going to send you a home-based test kit. Someone will deliver it to your house in like two hours. You always need to do the swab, package it up. They take it back to the lab. You get the results within a day. That's awesome. Because what we don't, we want people to isolate. We don't want them out in the community, out and about, spreading this virus, right? And, but we need to get testing, and we need to think of innovative ways. And also think about our older patients. I mean, they, they, may, may, they may have difficulty. Older folks may have difficulty leaving their home. Well, this way, hey, we'll bring the test to you. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can say, look, let's leverage. We have a huge workforce now, an increasing workforce, and that unfortunately is not going to be working. I think there are a lot of ways we can leverage people. And, and, and Scott, I, I said this yesterday, and I think this is something that we, we need to really push here, is I think we need a coronavirus new deal. We need to put people to work. Younger people are at much less risk for serious consequences from this virus. We, we need help. We need help in just in helping out the hospitals, even just moving beds around, moving patients around. I mean, you don't have to be technically trained. Let's put people to work to help other, our fellow Americans. Let's deliver tests to homes. Let's drive people to the fever clinics. Whatever it takes, we need an all-hands-on-deck approach, and I think the federal government should be funding jobs for people to do this because we're going to need to do it now. Coronavirus New Deal, I like that. That's a, that's a good one. So what are, the real, what are some of the real challenges in developing new vaccine? I, I guess the biggest question that I've gotten from people is how long does it take? to make a vaccine how long how long would it take to actually get something out there that works for people that are you know that's, that's publicly available for everybody uh, is it that even a thing you know what i mean is that possible is that going to happen yeah so most experts will tell you that it's going to take about a year um at minimum to get a vaccine so i think um so let's just Let's just like all those anti-vaxxers out there who claim that, oh, you know, these vaccine companies are just shoving their stuff out to hurt people. Let's just put that to rest right now because vaccines save lives. And in fact, you have to carefully develop these vaccines to first make, their, make sure they're safe, make sure they're then effective. But also the manufacturing process is very specialized to make sure that they are safe. So that is the reality with vaccines. And there aren't a lot of places that can manufacture vaccines. Now, if I were the coronavirus czarina, <laughs> okay, if I were in charge, I would have back in January, certainly in February, when it was clear that this virus was spreading like wildfire, not only inside China, but outside China, I would have gone to and convened all the major, major vaccine manufacturers together and said, look, we need to get a vaccine manufactured now. So normally what you do, Scott, is you test the vaccine for safety and for efficacy. Does it work? And then you ramp up the manufacturing of millions of doses. That's the normal process. We don't have time. So what we need to do is take our best couple of shots on goal and say, look, we got to make some bets early. We may be wrong, but let's go ahead and start manufacturing doses of our three best shots on goal. Let's pick a number. 
let's start manufacturing in parallel to doing the testing. So that way, as soon as we have those test results, it's safe, it, it works. You know, we, we've got to throw out that rule book, okay, because we're in uncharted territory here, right? Say, okay, we understand that we've got a reasonably validated vaccine. Let's start vaccinating people, especially high-risk patients, healthcare workers who are at high risk, older patients, patients who have other risk factors like chronic lung disease, people who are in hot zones like New York and Seattle, where it's very difficult to physically isolate people enough where they can actually live. And we're not talking for a week or two. So we need to do this yesterday. Public health experts all agree that as individuals, you and I and everyone else needs to slow our rate of quote unquote social interactions. Uh, But do you agree that social distancing is what we should do to flatten the curve of infections? Is there another consideration that we're missing? And when it comes to that, how far do we go? You know, if people have uh, things that need to be fixed in their house or people have people that clean their house or, um, you know, assist them medically, uh, should they cancel those appointments? Um, you know, just how, how, how extensive should we make that social distancing? Yeah. And I think unfortunately in the next few months, okay, I think this is not something that's two weeks. You know, CDC, as you know, yesterday, the Centers for Disease Control just released guidance yesterday uh, saying that they strongly recommended against gatherings of 50 or more people for the next two months. So this is not something that's going to be a couple week time period. So first, with respect to social distancing, I I think another thing that we need to change is the language here. Because to me, social distancing is kind of anxiety inducing, right? And that's, that's not really what, that implies you don't, you're interacting with anybody socially. Well, you and I are interacting right now socially, but we're not physically interacting. And we and I met, you and I met, uh, you know, separately from my husband and your connection to my husband, we met through Twitter and I've met multiple friends through Twitter. So instead of social distancing, I think we need, it's physical distancing. So we need to, we need to practice physical distancing while staying social. We're social creatures. We need to interact with one another, especially now more than ever. And through this crisis, we need one another. So we need to have physical distancing while remaining socially connected. And luckily, I mean, kind of I, the, the irony here is I actually think like, you know, our kids' generation is much better at this because they do it already. I mean, how many times have you walked by, you know, the coffee, local coffee shop, you see four teenagers sitting there at the table and they're all on their phone. And I mean, I've seen my kids do this. And what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just hanging out. And they're actually like texting or, or whatever they're doing on social media with one another while they're in this, like at the same table, they're not talking to each other. They're talking through apps. So I think that, that, you know, and we're, we've met, as I said, through Twitter. So I think that we can stay socially connected while being physically um, disconnected. So I would like us to be pushing the, that the mantra that we have to have physical distancing as a hashtag, not social distancing because to me social distancing no that that makes me feel lonely and no one wants to feel lonely so that's what we need to be doing now with respect to what people should do individually if you've got that little home project you really wanted to do but it's not really necessary like okay if your toilet's overflowing and you need a plumber by all means call the plumber because obviously you don't want you know sewage flowing in your house because that has health risks 
but if you, you know, if you're thinking, thinking about doing a little remodeling, not the best time, perhaps, if, you know, if you can perhaps delay that a bit um, with having a bunch of different people in your home. Okay. Now, if it's one person you've worked with, they're coming by a handy person, man or woman, but you know, fine. That the risk is relatively low, right? But you know, if you're not in a high risk group as a person. Now, with respect to medical things, if you need medical care, you got to have, obviously you need people to come and help you home health, et cetera. But when that person gets to your house, you know, you don't need to have hand sanitizer because good luck finding it anyway, but it's not even as effective as good old plain soap and water. So when anybody enters your home, including yourself, your kids, your loved ones, whoever it is, and I, you know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm on everyone. As soon as they come in the door, wash your hands. Good old soap and water destroys this virus. So that, you know, you can feel comfortable as long as somebody's not having symptoms. You know, if they come in and they look, you know, sick, please home health people don't come. And also they come into your home, have them wash their hands for 20 seconds with soap and water. And I'm scrubbing my hands together as I say that. Um, that is highly, highly effective. Um, I will say that doctors, uh, and I, I, I develop cancer medicines. That's all kind of what I do by day. In addition to fighting off this virus, um, the, that a lot of cancer doctors are telling me that they are now using telehealth to interact with their patients so that the patients don't need to come to clinic because again, to minimize your exposure to this virus, I think that there are some good innovative solutions. Unfortunately, of course, sometimes you need to get blood work done, and if it's medically necessary, you've got to do it. But if you can avoid and delay a medical procedure um, that's, uh, you know, if you can delay it by a couple months, um, by all means, delay. Find out more about Meet the Candidates 2020, my new book series of voter guides, authored by Dworkin Report producer Grant Stern. It's the only place you can read my opinion and a factual portrait of each major Democratic candidate in one place. Buy the book now at the link inside this episode's notes at grantstern.com or your local Barnes & Noble. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Trump has been known to publicly support the anti-vax conspiracy theory. CDC wrote a 450-page book on how to respond to public health crises after the 9-11 anthrax attacks, and experts say Trump is doing the opposite of it. On on last week's Dworkin Report episode, World Health Organization expert and Yale psychiatry professor Dr. Bandy Lee said that American leadership would be better without Trump's presence in general. Uh, Should the cabinet consider invoking the 25th Amendment right now uh, due to president's false statements about public health crisis matters and his disinformation dissemination? Um, You know, is it too too dangerous for the the American public to bear? You know, is this something that warrants removal from office? I, I think that every day Trump says and does things that warrant his removal from office. But let's face it, um, you know, his cabinet is filled with sycophants that are not going to do anything. Um, why do we, you know, I, you know, I strongly believe that Mr. Trump selected Pence to lead the coronavirus, quote unquote, task force to spin, right? Because who has, the only person who has a more vested interest in trying to spin this pandemic than Pence is only Trump. I mean, right, because this hurts their reelection chances. 
So I, you know, I, I love that idea, but it's just, it's not going to happen. I think that clearly what Mr. Trump has done in him and his, you know, uh, some of his media uh, co- collaborators or quote unquote media, I should say, the collaborators have pushed this absolutely false and extremely dangerous disinformation that there's nothing to see here. I mean, just yesterday in his press conference, so, you, you know, do you have Dr. Tony Fauci who runs uh, the infectious disease uh, branch of NIH and he is a preeminent vir- virologist scholar understands viral outbreaks. And he said, you know, and, and as I've warned for months, as you know, you know, people need to understand that things are going to get worse before they get better. They are. They are. Okay. And unfortunately, but they are going to get better. But Trump yesterday says, we're all going to be great. We're going to be so good. I mean, you know, there's no, it's always glossing over, as you know, just recently within the past week or two, it was, oh, there's a couple of cases, but it's going to be zero. And the hot weather is going to kill it's going to go away. And it's, you know, we have people dying and the polling reflects how dangerous this disinformation is. Repeatedly, Republicans are saying, yeah, this isn't really a big issue. No, my relatives really aren't at risk. And the real tragedy here, Scott, is that this virus, again, it doesn't care, Republican, Democrat, it infects, it kills. And the people that it tends to kill tend to be older. And we know that old, the older folks in America, older Americans, you heavily towards Republicans. So that is the real tragedy here is that it's literally imperiling their lives. If they think, yeah, this isn't a big deal because my, you know, the president said it's not. And again, we American people, we, we should expect that the leader of our country is telling us the truth, especially in the face of a, of a global pandemic. This is where we need transparency. We need truthful real-time information being communicated to the American people, and instead it's spin, spin, spin. And I worry about that. I mean, we just had it here in Orlando. Disney World is closing for at least two weeks, which is unprecedented, right? That just doesn't happen. It never happened, and not for that period of time. And you can see the pictures of the crowds, people, and I've been to Disney World where you have people, strangers pressed up against you, sweaty strangers are all crowded watching the fireworks. And I mean, I'm small, I'm 5'1", so I don't, I, I avoid those kinds of crowds because I worry I'm going to get troubled, okay? But I've been there. And that's what it was last night. People from all over the world come to Disney World. And I'm just watching this going, oh my God. You know, instead, we need a, a leader who says, look, folks, you've got to, you've got to distance physically. We've got to do this starting yesterday. We're still going to talk to each other. We've got our Skypes. We've got our FaceTimes. We've got our whatever app you want to use. You've got the phone. You've got the interwebs. <laughs> you know, what, however you want to interact, but stay home. Hashtag stay home, stay home, stay home. And instead, we're seeing that. We saw those scenes with bars, right, just yesterday people partying all over the country and, and, and celebrating St. Patty's Day, elbow to elbow, I mean, closer. This is his, his total narcissism and need to spin things to benefit himself yet again. And this is the starkest example, Scott, is, is literally endangering lives. 
Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Parting wiz- or words of wisdom for anybody or, or anything else you want to talk about? I do, Scott. And I, I, want, I want people to know that, first of all, coronavirus is not a death sentence. Um, 80 plus percent of people have, you know, like a, a mild a flu or even more mild symptoms. I think we've all had the flu in our lives and it's horrible and, 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 and uh, makes you feel terrible. But, you know, vast majority of people don't even have symptoms that severe. So I think that people should be vigilant. They should be planning, but they should not be panicking. I mean, when I see here in central Florida, the shelves are empty. I mean, we live in a suburban area. You know, this is not, you know, we we may have to close down some restaurants and our, of course, our um, uh, large venues like Disney World and other entertainment facilities, but the stores are open. They're going to resupply. You know, we, we need to, you know, people need to take a deep breath as well. So I, I think that think about your neighbors. If you want to help, think about your elderly neighbors and loved ones. Try to help them. Who It's dangerous for them perhaps to go out and shop. Maybe you can go and shop for them. I think that we can all do use a little more kindness. Um, and look, let's look to each other. Let's, let's stay socially connected and physically and practice physical distancing and help each other through this because we are going to get through this as a country. And I think it's going to be, um, every little bit of leadership on that little local scale is going to make all the difference in the world. Where can folks follow you on Twitter? At Dr. Dina Grayson, D-R-D-E-N-A Grayson, G-R-A-Y-S-O-N. You search Dina Grayson, I'm sure you'll find me. Feel free to follow me. Definitely follow Scott Dworkin. He's an awesome follow and the whole team at the Democratic Coalition. And Dr. Dina Grayson, your years of hard work, everything you've done, uh, I thank you as part of the resistance, as part of uh, an American that I'm proud to be friends with. I can't thank you enough. You have eased my fears a lot today and also just talked plainly about things, facts, and I just appreciate it so much. I appreciate you taking over a half hour of your time today. I know you're extremely busy with everything, um, but I can't thank you enough for doing this because I know uh, there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this and they'll get the truth out. And it just just truly appreciate it. I really do. Well, Scott, thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm happy to come back and we can hold virtual hands together. We are a community And we are going to get through this and let's help each other through this. So thanks again for having me on. Thanks again to Dr. Dina Grayson for taking the time today. I want to thank my producer, Grant Stern, hardest working producer in podcasting. You can visit our website at DworkinReport.com. If you want to find out more information about Biden or Sanders, we have books on those. You can go MeetTheCandidates2020.com. Thanks again for listening. Onward!